know, Doug used the word uh, uh, refuge to describe CIMC, and at the moment I'm, I'm teaching for the month of September at the Forest Refuge, which is a, a part of uh, IMS, the Insight Meditation Society in, in Barrie. Uh, so this word refuge is built into the name of that place, and, and I was reflecting on this recently, this idea of, of uh, places like this as refuge, kind of sanctuary, and thinking of, of um, you know, the whole reason why this place exists, why it was founded, what the purpose of that was in terms of this idea of refuge. And it's actually kind of amazing, you know, CIMC and, and places like IMS and other, other places like this that I get to spend a lot of time in, lucky me, are founded for the purpose of providing a place where people can come and spend time in meditation and contemplation in study and practice and exploration of life, of what it means to be human, with, with the whole purpose behind it being to uh, this movement towards happiness, peace, freedom, and ease. To the deepest possible version of that, that we might be able to realize in our lives. And, and that's pretty incredible to have a place where it's, that's the purpose, you know, that's not very common in the world. What are most of the, the institutions in places? You know, they're institutions of learning and research and lots of good stuff, but to have a, a place like this that, that uh, is dedicated to this purpose, dedicated to um, this movement towards happiness, peace, freedom, liberation. That's pretty amazing that it exists at all. And so that's rare in the world. And also, it's really rare in the world to have an interest in spending time in this exploration, to have all of the things that have to come together in our minds and hearts and our lives, to even have the interest, to have the opportunity, to bring those two together and to make the effort to, to come and spend time, whether it's for an evening like this or to do a longer retreat like the people at the Forest Refuge where I'm teaching are doing. and Maybe some of you, I know some of you do, spend time in, in more intensive periods of practice. So it's good to, I think, reflect on this, to not take any of that for granted either the, the existence of these kinds of places or our ability, interest to come there and really uh, nurture both the place and our heart in relation to that. So I thought I'd talk about meditation tonight, which seemed appropriate at a meditation center, kind of a generally good idea, something one might speak about, and, and that seems obvious, but I could have launched into some whole other thing. <laughs> and I was thinking about meditation, I was reflecting on it this morning, uh, in the morning uh, sit that I, I go to and offer a reflection a couple times a week at the Forest Refuge, and I was thinking about this, the practice of meditation, and. And sometimes there's an image that's used that I think is actually very useful of seeing 
meditation as in the same ways we might look at learning an art or learning how to play music possibly something like this where we we're undertaking to learn something to learn uh, something new perhaps and so if we think about the image or the analogy of learning how to play a musical instrument some of you I know are musicians you know and when we when we start that we have to start really simply and we get some lessons and maybe we learn some chords or simple very simple melodies or we learn eventually maybe scales and we we put in time practicing those and we start in the simple way and and the way we approach it is important because we can we can sort of attack the process in some way with with too heavy a hand or too much kind of zeal and and try to sort of pound it out or force the the body and the mind to to learn to be able to do it and that doesn't work but this this steady regularity of of practice is what is key there and we have to keep it up and it takes a while before we get some fluency there and start to actually produce anything remotely like music it takes real patience and and a consistent application of effort and you know if we try too hard we'll burn out or we'll exhaust ourselves or lose interest and we we'll just want to throw the instrument into the pond or or smash it or or run away but if we don't put in any effort if we just you know, try a little bit and then put it down come back a week or a month or a year later and pick it up and we probably won't ever really notice much improvement in our ability to play. So it takes this real uh, quality of balance in that. Something that's sustainable. And so in terms of the meditation, we could look at it in somewhat the same way. We find an approach to it that is sustainable. And the, one of the best ways to do that is to remind ourselves that our job is to connect with this present moment right now, to show up for that in a very simple way, to connect with our experience in each moment. We do a moment at a time <laughs> rather than a whole meditation period at a time. So what are we doing then? What, what are we doing in meditation? You know, we, what's it about? What's the point of it? It's worth really looking to see what we're, what we're up to here. And we might talk about it in a lot of different ways, but, but using this image of learning how, tra uh, learning a training, learning how to train the mind in a certain way, train the heart, train our way of seeing in a certain sense. You could see it that way. We're training ourselves to see in a particular way that's, that's maybe different than the way we usually look at our experience, at our life, at what we can know. We're looking for a, 
we're training a particular way of seeing and, and a particular way that we might then relate to what we're seeing, what we're connecting with when we explore our life in meditation. Because that's, that's what we're doing, is exploring our life. We're exploring the flow of experience, which is also the exploration of nature, right? That's what that is. That's really all we're doing in meditation is exploring nature, nature manifesting in, in this mind and body and internally within that, nature in the world around us. It's all the same. It's all still the flow of, of natural causes and conditions that arise and come together and pass away and that flow of that. And we're exploring this to, to see what we might call the, the true or fundamental or essential nature of, of all things. And so we have our life, we have the flow of our experience, that's the, the terrain of meditation. Everything, not just parts of it. The whole thing is what we are exploring there. So what is that? What can we know? It's actually quite simple, it seems kind of huge, and I don't know, how could I sum it up? But what we can know, how we know things, is through contact at this sensitivity of body and mind. So there's, there's kind of six bases of sensitivity. There's six things we can know. In any moment, we can know one of six things. There are visual this visual information contacting the eye, eye consciousness, is one way you could express it. There's seeing, seeing arising, contact at the eyes, contact at the ear, sounds and hearing, body, all the sensitivity there, the feeling sensations in body, nose, smelling, mouth and tongue tasting, these things we call the, the five, we think, think of five senses in that way. But in meditation, we, we say six senses, and we have the mind as another base of sensitivity, the mind door. And so then the contact there is all of the uh, world of mental activity, of thoughts and feelings and moods and emotions and fabrications of mind, everything that arises there. So those six senses, the six sense doors and the objects and the consciousness that arises in dependence on that, that's, the, that's everything. There's nothing that we can know outside of that. Right? So that's the flow of life. That's, that's the nature. That's what we can know. And then, so then, what do we do? We, we have this possibility of bringing this quality of mindful awareness, of present moment awareness to that, to any aspect. And it's not so much, it's just a kind of doing, but that can arise in relation to that. It's just right now, this is not a big deal, right? Right now, if I were to say, bring your attention to the feeling of your body sitting here, just the knowing of that. You, you know you're sitting, right? No one is confused about that, probably. 
right? But but to sh to show up and and be present for that, it's not a big deal. It's like we can be here or not. But the difference is, it's like a little. It's not a big ah. Oh, I mean, maybe in moments it's like that, but it's really, it's like, yeah, I'm here, <laughs> big deal. But, but that quality of simple presence, of mindful awareness in any moment, that's, that's like here and not here, that's like night and day, right? This quality, this ability to actually be here, this quality of mindful awareness, this, is, this opens the door to, to everything. Because when, when this is here, when we're present in this way, we can actually see what's going on and everything is possible in terms of understanding and um, it's the, the doorway to, that's the key to this practice and to, um, to liberation, to freedom. Because if we're here, we can possibly learn and see what's going on. If, if we're not here, Nothing's possible. We're just living out our conditioning. We're just running kind of on automatic. And automatic may or may not be leading us towards happiness and peace. And the Buddha said something very powerful about this in one short, very famous verse in the, in the collection of teachings called the Dhammapada. The collection of teachings in verse form I'm sure many of you are familiar with. He see in one place he said, mindfulness is the pathway to the deathless. Heedlessness is the pathway to death. The mindful do not die. The heedless are as if dead already. Now that's pretty strong. <laughs> Those are strong words. But it points to this quality with mindful awareness, with present moment attention to our life, there is this possibility to wake up and to know what's going on and for wisdom and wise discernment insight to arise. Without it, this as if dead already, just this living out habitual patterns of uh, reactivity and, um, and conditioning that's there. So this is, it's not a, it's a small thing in one way and it's a big thing in another way. It's the heart of the matter here. It's the and so we bring this quality of mindfulness. But then it's, it's looking, okay, then what are we doing in meditation? What is, what's the actual purpose of it? What are we after here? Because often we're, we're, we approach practice, we come to this practice because we're, we're wanting to have certain experiences or, or maybe achieve certain states that we've either perhaps read about or heard about or maybe even experienced at times. We can approach practice with this uh, idea that we're practicing for a certain kind of experience or state calm or ease or, or bliss. And this calm and ease and bliss sound great, yes. You know, I'm, I'm for that. <laughs> but we're looking 
if we're looking for it in terms of um, a state, a conditioned state, something that arises because we get things kind of together to some great place and, and, and it's like that for a while, but it doesn't last. And if that's, the, if that's our focus is going to that, then what do we do when, when we maybe get, maybe we get there for a little while, but then it changes and then what? Then where are we? So we're looking for a, a quality of calm or ease or maybe a deep sort of quieter bliss <laughs> that isn't dependent on, on things being a particular way of achieving a state or a particular experience. We're looking for um, those qualities that arise out of wisdom, of a, out of understanding, rather than a conditioned sort of state that we might be able to achieve sometimes for some period of time. But this is really hard for us to learn because we get very focused towards states and experiences and our conditioning is very strong in this way. And and we can use the meditation as a tool to, to try to gain control. You know, sometimes we have the idea that what we're learning here is some technique that is going to let us be able to control experience so that it's more often a certain way <laughs> at least. We're kind of going to, you know, kind of aim it towards that. You know, and, and we have some ability to um, influence things. It's not that we're completely powerless, but our ability to control experiences is, is limited at best. That's, that's not it. And, and meditation is not like giving us some tool to, to get around that fact. It's just that's the way it is. We aren't in control in that way. We don't know what's coming. We can't have it only be a certain way. That's not, not what we're after, not what we're trying to do. You know, I think we, we I think we often hold out this hope that we would never admit if asked directly. But we have this, this idea and this hope that, you know, we're, we're heading towards a situation where it's going to always be pleasant on the way we like it, you know, as though the Buddha's enlightenment is this steady state where it always feels really nice. And, and I just like it all the time. And, and, you know, we sort of, we get a lot of, mm, I think we get a lot of uh, information to the effect that that should be possible through media, you know, like, like these com TV commercials that I don't see too much now, but I have on occasion where, you know, the people are, they're beautiful and they're having such a good time, <laughs> always. They're never having a bad time. <laughs> they're always whatever it is that they and they got that thing or that experience and they're they're just oh they're so it's so good. And you know, we that should we should all be able to be not only <coughs> having so much fun but and then beautiful too. You know, if we get it we're gonna look like them and just be smiling and you know, and, and it's as though, and if we can't pull this off, then clearly we, we're blowing it somehow. It's our fault if we're not able to make this be the, be the way. You know, we get a lot of, a lot of um, mm. energy that sort of leads us to think that maybe this is, this is possible, and if we can't pull it off, 
then we're, we're doing it wrong, some, something wrong in our approach to life. But in meditation, we're interested in meeting the flow of our life, the experiences that come, the flow of nature just as it is, without trying to control it or force it to be a particular way or, or get it to always be the way we like it. And we bring this quality of, of a, what we call a kind of bare attention to the, to the flow of the experience. And what, what a meaning, bare attention, this, um, it's kind of an attention that isn't adding a lot to the experience. It's seeing it just as it is. And we're interested in seeing a little more deeply into whatever is arising than, than maybe the surface appearance and the surface of how it appears. We're interested in, in seeing it in a way that leads to something we might call insight, understanding. Now this place is the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. This is called Insight Meditation. So what's that? What's, this, what's the insight part of that? We might think of this word insight and what it's pointing to in different ways. In the dictionary, if we look it up, it points to a couple of, couple of things in the dictionary definition. It's uh, defined as, as uh, seeing below or penetrating below the surface appearances of things. And it also talks about a kind of intuitive seeing into the essential or fundamental nature of something. That's what the dictionary defines this word insight. And there's a lot of really good stuff there. We are interested in, in penetrating or seeing below the surface appearance of things. And we are interested in this intuitive seeing into the essential nature of things. So, in terms of this word insight, we can, we can experience that in different ways. There are insights that come in relation to that which is personal to us, to any one of us. Insights into the, the, the inner workings of our mind and heart, and on the level of what we might call our personal psychology, where we start to see uh, places where we've felt disconnected or um, numb to some aspect of our emotional world or caught in a pattern that we see has caused us to suffer in different ways. And we may start to get some understanding of what's gone on, what's led to that, why that's happening there. Maybe unpack it in a way, start to feel something opening up, some shifts in that, in the arena of uh, what's personal to any one of us our, from our personal history and our past and the, the conditions that we've lived in and all that's gone into that and has led uh, to uh, things that have maybe given us trouble in our lives, have led to stress and struggle. And this can be very powerful at times. It can really be 
a, a very um, big opening that can come through these kinds of understandings. And, and we can see this, this, there is a kind of insight, with a deeper seeing into, into our inner workings and what's there. And that's personal and individual to any one of us. And this is an aspect, a level of insight. There's another level of insight, which is addressed through this practice of insight meditation, which both includes and in a certain sense you could say transcends that which is personal to any one of us. It has to do with um, our inner emotional world and life. It's not separate from it, but it, it takes that a step further. It goes beyond that into considerations, into um, understandings that have a more universal nature, that have to do with this fundamental universal nature of things, this essential nature that arises from this intuitive seeing into the way things really are on a deeper level. And on this level, this quality of insight, this experience of insight, has the possibility to lead to understandings that um, really can transform the mind in a profound way, the mind and heart and our understanding in a very profound way, a liberating way. So when we come to relating this to the experience of meeting our, the flow of our life, the flow of our experience, the flow of nature that we can know through the senses with mindful awareness, then, then it's, it, it points to this training of a different way of seeing that, or seeing a different aspect of that. So we're training ourselves to, look, to see it in a, in a particular way in terms of um, what, are, what are called the three uh, universal or common characteristics of all phenomena, all things share. So it's no longer personal to any one of us. The flavor of it, our experience of it, may be individual and personal, but, but we're seeing into something that's much more universal. This is the level of insight medita meditation, vipassana, seeing clearly. Seeing things in one way to describe it, at least, in terms of these three uh, characteristics or quality of anicca, dukkha, anatta in the Pali language of impermanence, of unreliability, and corelessness, or not-self. So it's as though we're seeing through, through this certain lens. It's like a, a pair of glasses that we put on that lets us see in a particular way. So anything that we can know, anything that arises, any contact, sight, sound, feeling, thought, emotion, all of that, they all have their individual flavors or qualities like we see in, in the, the look of things around the room here and the colors and shapes and forms and 
largeness and smallness and all that. They have their individual qualities, but they all share these common characteristics. If we look in this way, we see that anything that is of the nature to arise is of the nature to pass away. It has this quality of change inherent there. It all changes all the time. If we look closely, we'll see it's changing quite quickly, actually. That it's this flow or flux. So in the one really great thing about this that these characteristics apply to all things is that it, it doesn't matter what we pay attention to in some essential way. So this goes back to my earlier point about the purpose of, of the practice is not to control it or get certain experiences to happen, but to learn a new way of seeing any and all experiences. Because these qualities are not just um, an aspect of some things. Everything is subject to change. Everything is always in a state of change, of flux and flow. It doesn't matter if it's subtle or gross, or something we like or don't like. It doesn't matter what it is. So that's great news for us in terms of the meditation, because well, there's always something to be aware of. And so anything that we bring our attention to we can see it is of the nature to change. It arises, remains for a short time, passes away. And so as we see this more and more deeply and clearly, we start to see that because of that quality of impermanence, and th this seeing, when I'm using the word seeing, it's not, it's not, um, and the understanding of this, it's not like deciding that it makes sense more and more and, and adopting a belief about it. It's, it's more of this very direct, it's this level of intuitive seeing. It's a seeing that often we don't realize is even happening, perhaps. But we see through this uh, opening to this, the changing nature of things, that no thing in that flow is, is reliable in a certain way, in terms of being a source for uh, lasting happiness. Or as, as a way to get to a, a deep, abiding kind of contentment. No single experience. We have great experiences, beautiful, blissful experiences, lovely experiences, pleasant things that we enjoy deeply, and they're great but they don't last. So if we can't turn to them as a reliable source, we can't turn to any one thing in that flow to be the thing that for our deep okayness or lasting contentment or ease or happiness, it's just, it's not that there's something wrong with these things, they just can't do that. We, we learn that's something we, we can't ask them to provide something they're not capable of providing. So this is this unreliability, this quality of dukkha. And we, we often think dukkha, we use the word a lot in places like IMS at least, where I spend a lot of time, meditation centers, you know, the word dukkha is around a lot and, and it tends to get narrowed down to meaning just um, unpleasant experiences, difficult 
painful experience. Oh, it's such dukkha, you know, this whatever, this thing that happened when I stubbed my toe, dukkha, or, you know, on all kinds of levels, different versions of toe stubbings, or um, something happening like that that's a painful experience. But, but there's a, a more, um, there's another level of understanding dukkha that has to do with this quality of unreliability that uh, applies to uh, pleasant experiences as well, that they, they don't last. It's, it's a direct following on from their impermanent nature. They, they don't have this uh, ability to lead to any deep lasting satisfaction in our lives. They can't do that. And we start to see that, that things are happening in a conditioned causal way, that the flow of nature of our life is causal, it's conditioned. It's not amenable to our will. We're not in charge of it, making it happen in a certain way. We can't ultimately control it. So it's, and there's no abiding, um, solid, permanent thing within that. There's no one there, in a certain sense, to claim ownership of any of it, to take it all personally. So this is this empty or coreless quality, anatta, not self. That what there is, is this flow. And what we think of or relate to as self is a feeling that arises in relation to that. It's a, a, a claiming of some aspect of it in a moment, but it's not solid or fixed. And we see how that, even that feeling changes, arises and passes, not always there, not always the same. So, so this, is, this is this training of seeing in this way that we do in meditation. So then, seeing in this way leads us to come out of a kind of illusion, you could say, or a, it leads to a kind of disenchantment or disillusionment, not in a way of, of we sometimes use the word disillusioned, like losing heart or losing um, hope but actually to come out of, a, de of a, a delusion, of the delusion that, that things have this capacity to, that any one thing can lead us to happiness. So we don't ask things to do what they are not capable of doing. And so seeing in this way, as we deepen in this understanding, it leads to these qualities of dispassion, disenchantment, to a kind of deep letting go, letting be. We, in a sense, you could say we give it back to nature. We let nature unfold and flow as it does without having to latch on to any of it, claim it. We can let it be. We give it back to nature. And this 
eventually leads us to a, a deep abiding kind of happiness or ease that's not dependent on things being any particular way. We let it go, let it be. I, I brought uh, a book I'd like to read a short passage from to end this evening. This is from a book called The Issue at Hand by a teacher in California named Gil Fronsdahl. As mindfulness becomes stronger, it directly reveals three insights that the Buddha called the three characteristics of all experience, namely that our experience is seen as impermanent, as unreliable, unsatisfactory, and without an abiding permanent self. All things are impermanent, including the way we experience ourselves and the world. And since our experiences are ever-changing, they are inherently unsatisfactory as sources of permanent security or identity. As we see that they cannot provide us with lasting satisfaction, we also realize that anything we experience does not belong to some fixed autonomous notion of a self, not our thoughts, feelings, body, not even awareness itself. Sometimes these insights may trigger fear but as our mindfulness practices mature, we realize that we can function happily in the world without needing to cling or attach to anything. So the basic insights arising out of mindfulness practice help us to cultivate trust and a healthy equanimity in the midst of our lives. As this trust grows, it weakens our need to cling to anything at all. And eventually the deepest roots of clinging, of grasping, greed, of aversion and delusion, they release themselves and the world of liberation opens. The fruit of this liberation is in a sense being in a world to which we no longer project our clingings, fears, longings and aversions. It is to see the world of things as they are. If the release of clinging is strong enough, we realize the direct and immediate presence of the deathless a word used in Theravada Buddhism to refer to the ever-present timeless experience of liberation. So this is the possibility that's there for us in the practice, this deeply liberating understanding, this deep letting go. And it's a possibility that's there in any moment because it arises not through achieving or attaining some special state, but through simply seeing the way things really are, seeing the truth of the way it is. And the truth is, is available in any moment because it's just, it's just seeing the nature of things. And if it's the real truth, it's always the truth, not just some of the time. 
So the possibility to open to this is there in any moment. And it comes from just deeply seeing into the, the nature of things, opening to the nature of things. So I offer this for your reflection this evening, and uh, let's just take a few moments to sit quietly. I'll ring the bell in just a couple minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.